You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Farming Your Career Podcast with host Dr. Aaron L. Albert, where we explore a variety of healthcare and pharmacy related topics, including career development, healthcare IT, informatics, innovation, entrepreneurship, STEM, women's issues, and more. Farming Your Career Podcast is part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Dr. Aaron L. Albert. Welcome to Farming Your Career. I'm Erin Albert. This week, we roll on with How I Rx Roll, a mini-series focused not so much on what you're doing as a non-traditional pharmacist, but how you're doing it. And this week's guest is no exception to that rule. I learned a lot by chatting with her. Her name is Dr. Laura Happy. She's a PharmD MPH and a pharmacist, researcher, and writer who uses data to help people make better health decisions. Her career has spanned across health insurance, the pharmaceutical industry, mail-order pharmacy, consulting, and the academic settings. She's currently editor-in-chief of the Journal of Managed Care and Specialty Pharmacy, which is the official peer-reviewed journal of the Academy of Managed Care Pharmacy. She is also an assistant professor of population health at Wingate University School of Health Sciences in Charlotte, North Carolina, where she instructs students in nursing, OT, PT, PA, and pharmacy programs. Prior to her current roles, Laura was the chief pharmacy officer at Humana, where she led the company's responses to combating the opioid epidemic. She also developed a research program at Humana, resulting in hundreds of peer review articles and presentations. Listen in to our conversation today on how IRX roll with Dr. Laura Happy. All right, we are here today with Dr. Laura Happy. Dr. Happy, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you, Erin. I'm glad to be here. So we're continuing our series on how I RX roll, and I loved your background. It sounds like you're doing a lot of different things as a Renaissance woman in pharmacy. So we're going to unpack that today. I always start with the same question of all of the guests, however. So how did you get to where you are today in your career? Great. Yeah, I'd be, be happy to tackle that. You know, that's a question that I get a lot especially from pharmacists who are looking at non-traditional careers. And so as, as I look back on my career, there's sort of one thing that I've done that kind of sums up that question of how I got here. And, and that is that I said yes. So I don't mean that I said yes in the sense that I take on every task or opportunity that's requested of me and in fact, I unequivocally advocate against doing that. Um, you, you should not just always say yes when you're trying to manage your day-to-day priorities. But I said yes to the big opportunities and the big risks and the ones that really sort of mattered towards where I, I've gone in my career and where I'm still moving in my career. Um, I've never been afraid to take, a, to take a risk or to do something that's new. And often when that's your path, it's an indirect path. Uh, I don't necessarily have someone's career trajectory that I can model my own after. I'm, I'm making my own. Um, but that's exciting for me, and it's something that, that I thrive on. So as, as an example, I'll tell you a little bit about how I started my last role, which was at Humana, where I was for five years. 
at the time that I moved to Humana, I was looking to make a career change. And I saw a posting on one of my favorite online communities, healthyeconomics.com. And it, the posting was for a medical writer and it was a work from home position. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I did was I reached out to some people in my network. And these were folks that I knew from my volunteer work at the Academy of Managed Care Pharmacy. And, and these were folks that work at Humana. And I wanted to sort of talk to them about that role. So I, I leveraged my network and I'm a big fan of that authentic networking. And I think association work is a great way to do that. Uh, At any rate, so I I learned that this position, this medical writer was much more than a a medical writer, but it was a new role, uh, a new department, um, growing a new function in the in the office of the chief medical officer. And it came with a, a good bit of ambiguity. But that's exactly the type of thing that I like to say yes to. I'm not afraid of that ambiguity. I see that um, more as an opportunity and a challenge. And so, so that's just an example. And it's also characteristic of my, my present role as a faculty member at Wingate University, where I've been hired to design curriculum that cuts across all of their health science programs, which is nursing, PT, OT, uh, uh, physician assistant and pharmacy, and, and that cross-cutting curriculum is something that really hasn't done before. So again, exciting and innovative for me. So so these are the kinds of things that, that I like to say yes to, and that's sort of characteristic of how I got here, if you will. Yeah, that's really interesting and exciting. It sounds like you kind of have two employers potentially. So why don't you describe the location of where you are and your kind of maybe current work week? Sure. Sure. So uh, I physically live in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, um, and I have two primary gigs. The, the first is I'm editor-in-chief of the Journal of Managed Care and Specialty Pharmacy, which is the peer-reviewed publication for the Academy of Managed Care Pharmacy. And then I'm also an associate professor of population health at Wingate University, which is located here in the Charlotte area. Um, And of course, JMCP, their headquarters for AMCP are located in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, So so those are my my two primary uh, functions. The second part of your question was, uh, talking you through sort of a, a normal work day. So, so physically, I, I have a home office. I spend some time in my home office. Sometimes I'm on campus at Wingate, um, and sometimes I'm traveling to Alexandria or or other places. Um, but I can just kind of talk you through sort of a, a normal day. I'll talk you through one of my days this week um, for the month of December. I'm doing, you know, from a big picture perspective, doing a few things, um, closing out the year with the journal, um, getting ready to launch a new article series in 2019. And for Wingate, I'm preparing for our spring classes. Um, I'm also working on a, a book, so I'm spending some time doing that. So just thinking about uh, a day earlier this week, I like to start my day, uh, I'm, a, I'm a morning person, so I, I like to get what I call my deep work done in the morning. Um, so, so deep work is kind of that heads down, um, deep thinking, writing, um, preparing lectures, and not being distracted with the pings of email, LinkedIn, um, the more shallow type work that doesn't kind of require that that heads down time. So I always start my day with that. And when possible, I like to block like a two, two solid hours of meeting free time. Um, and this is something I've always done is really try to try to block that time to, to get that work done. I often do it early. 
um, my kids leave for school fairly early in the morning. So I can often knock out those two hours before other people are, are even online and starting to ping me with, with emails and such. Okay. Um, so, so that would be a, a typical day for me starting with, um, the couple of hours of heads down and then I'll schedule meetings. So on earlier this week, I had a, a meeting with, a. a another journal editor as we were sort of brainstorming and, and comparing notes, um, meeting with my book publisher, uh, then the, so I'll, I'll schedule some meeting time. Then I'll actually schedule email time. So this is one thing that's sort of unique about how I manage my work. I actually schedule an hour around the noon hour and then I schedule an hour at the end of the day and I try to limit my responding to emails during those times. Um, so I'm very uh, intentional and organized about how I schedule my day. So I'm starting with two hours of heads down work. Then I have meeting time. Then I have an hour to respond to emails, then more meeting time, and then emails again before I close out the day. Awesome. That's great. What um, side gigs or you, you talked about a book, uh, passion projects are you also kind of involved in? Sure. Yeah. So I'd love to tell you ab about my book and that's definitely, um, my passion project right now and, and one of my side gigs. Um, so I, I've spent a lot of time as a pharmacist and in, in my various roles working on the opioid epidemic. And it's something I'm very passionate about uh, as it relates to, you know, our, our profession, uh, and, and our role in the opioid epidemic and the solution to the opioid epidemic. And so I have written a book, which is something I've never done before. It's, it's my first book, um, but it's written for a teenage audience. So it's really adolescents age 12 to 17. And it's intended to, to be really purchased by their parents or adults that work with kids um, to facilitate a conversation about opioids. Um, so I'm a parent myself. I've talked to my kids about opioids because, you know, it's sort of what I do. But I, I know that there's a lot of parents that it's kind of a scary topic for, and they're not sure how to talk to them about it. Um, so that's that's the, the need that my book is looking to fill. So I want to get upstream of kids before they are um, introduced to situations where they might, um, you know, be faced with making a decision on whether or not to misuse an, an opioid drug. Uh, the title of the book is called If You Give an Ox an Oxy. Um, there's a children's book series that was written by Laura Numeroff, and that book series, the first one was called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, mm -hmm. and then she wrote several more, If You Give a Moose a Muffin, If You Give a Pig a Pancake, um, very popular book series. And so the kids who are teenagers now, you know, most of them read that when they were kids. So this sort of play on it, If You Give an Ox an Oxy, is something that hopefully will be memorable to the kids. And it, it takes the topic and makes it really approachable. So I've kind of rewritten those stories uh, to, to discuss the opioid epidemic. And you have this character 
the ox, um, and he he takes an opioid and, and ends up taking too many, more than he was prescribed, um, becomes addicted, overdoses, is revived, gets into therapy, and then ultimately relapses. Mm. And that's really the same storyline of the mouse and the cookie. Um, that's th- those stories are all a cause and effect. Uh, a mouse want, wants a cookie, then they want some milk to go with it, and so on and so forth. And at the end, the mouse always goes back to the cookie. So it follows the same storyline. And then on every page, I have a detailed explanation of whatever the topic is. So what is an opioid? Uh, what is addiction? Why do some people become addicted and not other people? And, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's been really fun to kind of learn about the world of, of publishing and, and how that all works. And so that's, that's what I'm working on. Cool. That's so needed right now. I think it's super important to have those kind of uh, parent-child discussions because uh, that, I mean, there, there's young people dying left and right, unfortunately, as it still relates to opioids. So congratulations yeah. on doing that. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the mechanicals of your workday and the tools that you use to break down your work. So what is your current mobile device and computer setup? Sure. So I have a Samsung Galaxy S9. I, I would not classify, my, classify myself as a big techie, um, but I think this might be the most current Samsung, but just because it was time for me to get a new phone. So okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably have this for quite a while. Um, my computer, I have the Microsoft Surface, which I love. Uh, it does everything that, that I need it to do, but it's also light, easy to travel with, um, carries a good battery charge, so I love it. Um, but I'm also a fan of a big screen, so when I'm at my desk, I have a second screen that I plug into, so I've got both screens. I like to have, have a, a big visual. So, um, yeah, so that's my computing device. Okay. Do you have a word that would describe your overall work style? Um, that's a great question. I, I, I think my overall work style I would describe as authentic, you know, and, and I guess that's in relationship to how I relate to and work with other people. Um, this has been something, it, it's a it's a leadership strategy that, that I've strived for since I, you know, was early in my career. Um, and the way that I kind of learned how important that was, was I was, I was working in a consulting environment and one of the project types that we did was we created value propositions for pharmaceutical companies and, um, we were expanding and I was hiring a staff and a, a leader for staff and, um, new people that were joining the company and and you're saying, okay, so your job is to create a value proposition for this drug, for the drug company for managed care. And I mean, that seems pretty ambiguous and and difficult. And uh, so these folks were kind of looking to me and saying, gosh, it seems like you make it look so easy. You've done this. And, and once I just simply articulated to them, gosh, it it was difficult when I first did it or every, every time I start out with a new drug that I'm trying to figure out what the value proposition is for it. um, It's challenging. So once I was just kind of transparent and authentic with them about the challenges that I face and then how I overcome them, um, it went so far. And so that's something that I've really tried to employ in, in my work relationships um, kind of since I am since I learned that important lesson um, and I, I feel like that that's been um, something that's been very uh, meaningful and uh, important in, in my work 
So the next question is about your personal hashtag. I'm, I'm hearing that it might be authenticity or maybe you have a different one. I don't know. <laughs> um, authenticity, uh, authenticity would be would be a good one. Uh, but gosh, if I had to come up with a personal ha- hashtag, I'd probably have to go with kind of one of my mantras. And, and uh, my last name is Happy uh, by marriage. Uh, if if I would have known I was going to marry a happy, I probably would have been a psychiatrist because I think that would have been a great practice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with my last name being Happy, one of one of our personal mantras is happiness is a choice. Um, and I really believe that. And it's kind of founded in a, in a book that was gifted to me by a, a fellow that I worked with several years ago. Uh, and the book is called The Happiness Advantage. And it was written by a, a former Harvard professor named Sean Acker. And the, the premise or the thesis of the book is that, you know, people think that if they achieve success, then they'll be happy. But in fact, the evidence shows the exact opposite is true. So if you're happy in your skin, if you're happy with the things in your life, um, then you're more likely to become successful. And it's not the other way around. Um, It's not that if you uh, get that next job or get that next raise or if you lose five pounds that that you'll be successful. It's it's really it's it all starts with happiness. So I like to to make that choice that to be happy. So let's go back to some of the technical aspects of your day. What apps, gadgets, or platforms can you not live without? Okay. Um, So I organize my entire life around two things. Uh, One is my calendar, my Outlook calendar. And and I really kind of already hit on that and how the importance of scheduling that deep work time, um, trying to limit those emails to certain times of day so I'm not constantly um, being distracted by that um, and then having explicit meeting time. So so that's number one is is my calendar. Uh, Number two is Microsoft uh, OneNote. This is something that I've fell in love with over just about the past year, year and a half that one of my colleagues introduced me to. And it's kind of like, where have you been all my life? Um, It's the the digital version of like the best sort of three ring binder with all the tabs and such. Um, So I have tabs for all of the different um, gigs that I have going on in my life, professional and personal. And then within each of those tabs, I have multiple pages. And so, you know, I can go right to my JMCP tab and, and find the information on my editorial advisory board, on my editorial calendar. And it's just all right there, super organized, really eliminates the need for me to have paper, which I despise paper. Um, and it's also, it's stored in the cloud. It's accessible on my phone or on my computer, or frankly, any computer that, that, I, that I sign into. Um, so I'm a huge fan of, of OneNote. I want to ask you a pointed question, too, about your calendar, because I'm curious, and uh, this might be a challenge that I'm faced with in the future myself. So you have your Wingate gig and you have your journal gig. Do you manage all of that in one calendar? And how do you do that? Do you compartmentalize by day or how do you how do you manage both of those gigs at the same time? Yes, that's a great question. Um, So. 
I feel like there's some like magic to my, my, my calendar because I, I somehow have them all think together and I'm, I couldn't even quite tell you how I did it. But when I go into my calendar and I go to, to schedule an appointment, um, I can choose from what email address I am scheduling that appointment. Um, and so, so therefore, for example, I have a shared calendar with my husband and, you know, he doesn't care to see all my JMCP and Wingate appointments, but he's interested in my personal appointments, right? So okay. um, he can kind of pick and choose which calendar he looks, looks at. So I, I do have them all in one view and I couldn't do it without that. <laughs> I have to have it all in one view. Interesting. Yeah, because I'm struggling with you know, I have certain types of work that I do certain days of the week. And then other days of the week, I do other types of work. And now I'm kind of juggling two different calendars. So that's, I don't think that's going to work long term. So I appreciate you sharing the calendar merge idea. Yeah, yeah, merging the calendars. And then, you know, another option is if you're just, uh, you know, including both of your primary email address addresses on your meeting invitations, and then it, it syncs to both calendars. Gotcha. All right. So what's your best life or work shortcut, Laura? <laughs> uh, let's see. So that's a great question. Um, I have in my office, uh, my office is chalk, my home office. I have chalkboard paint on my walls so I can write little um, notes that um, keep me inspired and um, other things that I need to keep track of. And so, so one of the notes that I have had on my wall for quite a while says hire good people and get out of their way. So, you know, I think as pharmacists, we tend to be type A, you know, I think it's pretty characteristic of people in our profession. Um, we tend to be pretty controlling. Um, and so I think it's, it's often difficult when you move into a work situation where you are um, empowering people to, you know, do the work that you've hired them to do. And it's in our nature to kind of have our hands deep in it because we are, or I am <laughs> fairly controlling. Um, so this has been a great lesson for me uh, is, you know, if I'm making sure I'm making those best hiring decisions up front then I try to be, you know, very hands off and, and let them do what I hired them to do. You know, I mean, in, in the environment that, that we're all in, um, basically everyone I've ever hired has, has had some sort of, of, of advanced degree, um, master's or doctorate level. You know, these, these people that we're hiring, they're, they're shining stars, right? Um, so, so let them do what we hired them to do. And, and so that's, that's true from a, a work perspective, but it's, it's also true from a, a personal perspective. It's, I think it's a, it's a life hack also to, to use your terminology. So um, I hire support staff to help me get things done at home too. Um, and and I, I let them do what I've, I've hired them to do. Awesome. And then my next question is, you know, do you have an eccentric work process that you use on a regular basis? And what does that look like? Yeah, I think my eccentric work process would probably be the the very intentional calendaring that I described before. Okay. Um, yeah. And I would just share with the, the audience, you know, a couple of things. So I think this notion of deep work is really interesting if, if we think about who we are as pharmacists, right? So as pharmacists, you know, we've gone through a lot of education, you know, we're, we're very good at, you know, 
getting our head deep into the literature, understanding complex concepts, memorizing, studying. You know, and then we go into a, a pharmacy environment where we're, we've got, you know, 10,000 things coming at us at the same time. You know, we're um, rapid fire, we're moving quickly, um, and we're very task oriented. And we get away from that. Most pharmacy environments, you've moved away from that kind of deep thinking analyzing, solving problems, um, sort of uh, approach that many of us, you know, it was in our DNA, right? So I, I think that's, could be a reason that pharmacists, some pharmacists, you know, look outside the four walls and say, gosh, I've got all this knowledge. I love to, you know, think and analyze and work this way, but I'm not able to do that in my day job. So, so they may be looking for, you know, other things to get outside of those four walls and, and use their knowledge in a different way. Um, this concept of, of deep work, it, there's a, a book that is it's incidentally called Deep Work. Um, <laughs> and the, the author is a, he's a computer science professor at Georgetown. His name is Cal Newport. And I, I highly recommend this book. Um, and, you know, he, he talks about how in today's environment, uh, shallow work or the opposite of, of deep work is becoming, you know, so much more uh, a focus of our time. Um, I couldn't begin to estimate the number of, you know, emails that I get in a given day um, or how much time that, you know, left unmonitored that I would spend on shallow work, uh, emails, you know, responding to um uh, social media profiles. Uh, he talks a lot about social media profiles and, and whether or not a given person should be spending their time on that. And there's, you know, authors are very much encouraged to be do, to do that. Um, but some authors have intentionally opted not to do that because it prevents them um, from, from doing their work, like J.K. Rawlings of Harry Potter. She, like, famously, uh, her publisher kind of forced her to make a Twitter account while she was working on her books, and she wrote one post and said, basically, this is the only post you're going to hear from me until I'm done with my work. Um, so we, we're at this time where shallow work is really is becoming all-consuming, but the need for deep work is so important. And so the hypothesis is that the people that will do well, that will be innovative, that will be successful, or those that really hone their ability to do deep work. And you hone that ability by practice, by by um, dedicating that time repeatedly to exercise that brain muscle, if you will. Yeah, I know Cal Newport is very, uh, he's not on social media at all. Um, he's very, you know, into the deep work concept. I don't know. I think you have to strike a balance. I, uh, I don't think it can be all one or all the other. So it's it's interesting that you brought up the deep work thing. I think it, when you are a writer, you do definitely have to have and allot some time to do the deep work. But I don't know. That's an interesting and controversial uh, book that he's put out. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and I think I think it applies to developing you know business strategy. You know, there, I think there's a lot of things that require you to really, you know, sit and have some time to to focus. And I think it's it's difficult to do those things unless you intentionally schedule it. Well, speaking of that, the next question is, how do you keep track of everything you need to get done? 
Um, I, I go back to my two two main things: OneNote and my Outlook calendar. So, okay. if it's if it's not scheduled on my calendar, I'm likely not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> so I very much schedule my work into my calendar, um, and I do have a tab on my OneNote that is a to-do list. Um, yep. I also have a giant whiteboard in my home that keeps track of my family. <laughs> ah, good. All right. So how let's let's talk about, you know, your personal well-being and health. Like, how do you know when you're burning out and then how do you recharge yourself? Yeah, great question. So the recharge one is really easy. Um, I love to run. I, I, it helps me clear my head. It, it, you know, it's as much for my physical health as it is for my mental health. And, uh, if I, if I get laxed on the running, you're going to notice it in my behavior. <laughs> so it's super important that I always, um, keep that front and center. And, you know, I think it's really interesting when people get busy exercise is often like one of the first things they cut out. Oh, I don't have time for that. Um, but I think we all know, you know, in our in our intellectual heads that uh, if we focus on exercising, it's going to make us more productive when we're not. So so that's a, a big focus for me. Um, and, and I enjoy being outside and being in nature. Uh, how do I know if I'm getting burnt out? Um, I think holistically, I don't I, I love what I do. Uh, I I. I have, you know, just been so fortunate to get to work on so many interesting projects and um, and things of that nature that I, I just haven't got burnout yet, I guess. <laughs> um, I guess more on a daily basis, I could say, you know, there's a time in the day where I need recharge and that's typically in the afternoon. I'm an afternoon runner. That's when I need to go out and exercise. Um, but holistically, I, I sort of don't get burnt out. There's too much in, interesting and fun stuff in, in our world. Um, there's always something new to learn about. And then most writers are avid readers, too. So I need to ask you about, you know, podcasts, books that you're reading right now or listening to. Yeah, reading is very important to me. I love to read Um I'll, I'll typically have a novel going on at any given time and then also sort of a um, more business related book. So I'll typically have both of those at any given time. Um, I also listen to books a lot when I run. So I may be reading a physical book and then also listening to a book when I'm either running or traveling or um, you know driving to and from here and there. So I, I just finished a great novel, Where the Crawdads Sing. Um, that was, I really enjoyed that. And then an, another one that I just finished was The Hate You Give. Um, two great books I highly recommend. Uh, next on my list that I want to read is Dope Sick, uh, which is about the opioid epidemic. Um, and I'm also sort of rereading, studying um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. Um, I very much admire his writing style, and I've I think I've read all of his books. Um, and uh, there's an, another book that I'm working on there that I have kind of my, my sights on starting, I should say, um, that I'm, so I'm really kind of studying his writing style and I'm, I'm taking a master class with Malcolm Gladwell that, that he has available online. So I'm reading that really for the purpose of, of studying. And then last question, who else alive would you like to have answer these questions? Uh, I would like to ask these questions to Atul Gawande. Mm, good choice. 
<laughs> so very interesting um, person for, for so many reasons. Of course, I you know, enjoy his books and uh, admire him professionally and would be interested to see how he keeps everything straight, sort of, you know, like you and I have talked about. Um, he's got multiple things going on with, with his new new post with the um, the Berkshire Hathaway, uh, J.P. Morgan, and who's the third one? Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Amazon. Yeah, with that with that venture. So, be really interested to hear about that. He's the keynote at Hims 2019. So, uh, uh, cool. Yeah, that's a big motivator to get there. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, Dr. Laura Happy, how can people connect with you in ways that you'd like to be connected with? Sure. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. So that's that's probably the primary best way to find me. And I also have a website at just www.laurahappy.com. And I'm happy with an E. Well, with that, Dr. Laura Happy, thank you for being part of How I Rx Roll. Thanks, Erin. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to another episode of How I Rx Roll, a mini-series focused not so much on what you're doing as a non-traditional pharmacist, but how you're doing it. My name is Erin Albert, and you can always find me over at Twitter, at Erin L. Albert. Of course, we have our own Twitter for this channel, at Farming Careers. And of course, as always, you can reach us at Pharmacy Podcast. Now that it's almost a new year, what are you doing to enhance your own leadership development and mentoring skills? I would challenge you to head on over to my day jobs website, www.ascp.com forward slash book club and check out a really novel leadership program that ASCP has available in 2019 for a handful of members. That's again, www.ascp.com forward slash book club. Have a great holiday season and take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Farming Your Career podcast, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you have ideas or comments for Erin, be sure to contact her through Twitter. Follow her at Erin L. Albert. And remember to keep your career growing.